Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The one who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said. I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Shall we pray as we begin? Heavenly Father, Thank you for the opportunity to gather together this lunchtime to look at this parable. By your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to what you would teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I wonder, what do you do while you're waiting? I mean, waiting is something all of us have to put up with at some point in our lives. Whether we're sat in a waiting room at a GP surgery, Maybe we're on a platform waiting for our train to come in the morning. Or maybe just in the kitchen waiting for the kettle to boil. And I wonder how you use that dead time. Maybe you catch up on messages or sort of check your emails and try and catch up on them. Assuming it still exists, maybe you scroll through Twitter just to catch up on the latest bit of political gossip. Or maybe you just sit back, twiddle your thumbs and just enjoy not having to do anything for once. As Mark said, we're currently in a series towards the end of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is currently on the Mount of Olives, talking to his disciples about his second coming. And this is the last block of teaching which he gives before he goes to the cross. And in these three parables of Matthew 25, which we're looking at over these few weeks, Jesus is building up a picture of what it looks like to be prepared for his return. So last week, Claire spoke to us about the parable of the ten virgins and the importance of being ready for Jesus' return. But that leads to the question, what do we actually do while we wait for his return? 
What does it look like to be ready? And Jesus uses this parable, the parable of the bags of gold, to tell us. And it's a pretty straightforward story and would have been a familiar scene for Jesus' original listeners. We have a master, he has some servants. And the master goes on a long journey. And in the days before planes and trains, journeys could take weeks, months, or even years. And so given that he's going to be away for quite a while, the master leaves some of his wealth, these bags of gold, to three of his servants, for them to do something with while he is away. Two of the servants use what they have been given to go out and make more, while the third buries what he has been given in the ground. And when the master eventually returns after a while, he commends the first two servants who have worked hard and gained more gold, and reprimands the third who has done nothing. And through this parable, Jesus is teaching his disciples that being ready for his return means being active in their waiting. I'll say that again. Being ready for his return means being active in our waiting. And over the next few minutes, I'll unpack what this might mean for us by asking three questions. Firstly, what has been entrusted to us? Secondly, how do we invest that? And thirdly, why should we invest that? So our first question, what has been entrusted to us? Now the master in the parable represents God and the servants represent his followers. And we see that each servant is given a different number of bags of gold. And the word for bags of gold used here is the Greek word talent. So you may well know this parable as the parable of the talents. Now the talent was a unit of money roughly equivalent to an average labourer's wage for 20 years. And several people have tried to estimate what this means in today's money, which isn't an easy task, particularly with inflation where it is. But we're looking at hundreds of thousands of pounds per talent. In other words, the master has given a lot of money to each servant, even the one who's only got one talent. He's a generous master who is entrusting a significant sum to the (coughs) servants. And we also read in verse 15 that different amounts were given, each according to the servant's ability. Now, this might seem unfair not to give them all the same amount, but it's actually a good thing that the master is doing. Because the master knows what each servant is capable of. So he doesn't burden them with more than they can handle. But at the same time, he doesn't waste their potential by giving them too little. And the reason that later translations use bags of gold rather than talents is to emphasise that in this parable, Jesus is referring to a unit of money rather than the innate abilities of the servants. In other words, it's about what has been given to them, not what they had already. And Jesus is saying that just as the master entrusts the bags of gold to his servants, each of us has been entrusted with something or things by God. And I wonder, what have you been entrusted with? Maybe in your case it is an innate talent. Maybe you're a great communicator or a good leader. Maybe you're great at building relationships with people or good with all the small details. Or maybe you've been entrusted with wealth or possessions, whether that's a house, a car, financial resources, and so on. Or maybe, particularly significant for those of us here in Parliament, you've been entrusted with a position of influence. 
And after all, we've got opportunities here for influence that others simply don't have. And for those of us here who are Christians, we have all been entrusted with spiritual gifts and blessings, whether that is the good news of the gospel, the Bible and all the promises of God, the Holy Spirit and all the many gifts that he bestows. The point is that we have all been entrusted with something. And it can be so easy, can't it, to compare ourselves with someone else and think that they've got more talents, more bags of gold than us. But each of us has something for us to use for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. And that leads us on to our second question this lunchtime. Once we've recognised what has been entrusted to us, how do we invest it? Because we see that the servants were expected to do something with the bags of gold they had been given. Because in verse, 14, verse 19, the master returns to settle his accounts. And he might not have given them an explicit instruction in the parable, but it's clear that the bags of gold weren't simply a gift. They were entrusted to the servants for them to put to use. And we can see that the first two servants grasped this. They, they set off and put the money to work. Or as another translation has put it, they traded with it. And in the first century, putting money to work is not simply a case of buying some shares or expanding your investment portfolio, but would have required the servants to be entrepreneurial, to take a risk and actually go and do something with the money. So maybe the first servant bought a boat and set up a fishing business. Maybe the second bought a field and started farming it. But we see that the third servant doesn't do anything like this. He simply takes those bags, that bag of gold he's been given and buries it in the ground. And Jesus' point here is that waiting is active. While we wait for his return, we don't just sit around in a waiting room twiddling our thumbs. We're meant to go out and do something. Each of us has been entrusted with something by God, and we're to go out and use it for his kingdom. But how do we actually go and invest what has been entrusted to us? Take a moment to think again about what might have been entrusted to you and how you might use it to serve God. All of us as Christians have been entrusted with the gospel and each of us have different opportunities to share that with those around us, whether that's people in our offices, whether neighbours on our streets, people in our family, friends and so on. And whether we seek to do that in words or in our actions, as we seek to be a good witness, being salt and light in the, way, in the place where God has put us. But it's more than just this. Each of the gifts or talents we've been given can be used to share God's love with others, to act for justice, to bring more of God's kingdom here on earth. And as those working in Parliament, as I've said before, we have unique opportunities to serve God in our positions, to work to make good laws, to campaign on different issues and bring about positive change in our constituencies, to practically help constituents do casework, to create a fairer and more just society that is founded on biblical principles. And whatever sort of work we do, we can do all of our work for the glory of God. As Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus encourages us to go out and take a risk for him. 
We have a loving and gracious God who has entrusted precious good things to us. Let's not just bury those things in the ground and be passive in our waiting, but rather be active in our service of him. Let's go out and do something with them. And this brings us to our final question. Why do we invest? As we've seen in verse 19, the master returns to settle his accounts. He discovers that the first two servants have something to show for their work. They might have achieved different amounts, but both received the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. They are both then entrusted with greater responsibilities and are then invited to come and share their master's happiness. And this is where we see the application beginning to break into the story. Because these aren't words which you'd expect to hear from a master to servant if it was a purely commercial relationship. Jesus is telling his disciples that there will be a day of reckoning when we will each be held to account for how we have used what has been entrusted to us. And on that day, we will want God to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. It would be like the best performance review ever. And we also get a glimpse here of what heaven, what the new creation will be like. It will be a place where those of us who have been faithful in this life will be given even more responsibilities. And it will also be where we get to enjoy the joy and love and favour of God for all eternity. Jesus is saying here that what we do now matters. And we can also see this in what happens to the third servant. Because rather than being commended, he is reprimanded for his lack of investment. And we might be tempted to feel some sympathy for him. Was he jealous that he'd been given less than the others? Did he doubt his abilities? Was he paralysed by fear of failure as he ended up doing nothing? Ultimately, he failed to understand both the task he'd been given and his master's character. We see in verse 24 that he saw him as a hard man who was harsh, when elsewhere we have seen that the master was good and gracious and generous. And this led him to be fearful, and so he ended up doing nothing. And so he is cast out into the outer darkness, away from the master's presence. And again, we see the application slipping into the story. For those who do not invest well, Jesus warns, they will be cast out of God's presence. And it's important to remember that Jesus is speaking at this point to his disciples, to those who have already started to follow him. But let's not misunderstand Jesus here. He is not saying that we are saved through what we do. It is faith in Jesus that saves us. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But the next verse in Ephesians 2 goes on to say, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. If we have truly grasped the good news and are trusting in Jesus for our salvation, and that will inevitably lead us to wanting to follow Jesus and to do the good works that he has given us to do. What we invest in reveals where our hearts are at. 
Are we investing in God's kingdom? Or are we burying what we have in the ground? And Jesus makes this warning in love to make sure that we are trusting in him and respond accordingly. And of course, he makes this warning in the context that he is about to go to his death. He is about to experience himself what it is like to be cast out from God's presence so that we don't have to. Being ready for Jesus' return is investing what he has given us, being active in our waiting. So as we draw to a close, think for a moment about what you have been entrusted with, how you could invest it, and remember why you invest it. And I'll leave you with some questions to ponder. If you're here and you aren't yet trusting in Jesus, think about how you view God. Do you see him as as good and loving and generous? Or do you see him as a hard taskmaster, just waiting for you to slip up and make a mistake? Know that God loves you so much that he died for you. You can trust in him. But if you are here (coughs) trusting in Jesus, let me ask you these two questions. Firstly, what have you been entrusted with? And secondly, how can you use this to serve God and his kingdom? Don't be like the third servant who is paralysed by fear of failure, but step out boldly, using what you have to invest in God's kingdom, so that on that final day you will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the many good gifts and talents you have blessed us with, for the skills, resources, positions you have placed us in. Help us to use them wisely, to invest them in your kingdom work, so that we may bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.